people have hard lives. We all have crap we have to deal with. Art and music are like an escape from that. And I feel like dancers doing shows, we have to be the relief and the happiness that people can find from their everyday life. And a lot of times I feel like this is why people are coming to a show or coming to a class. They're looking for this escape and this almost like a fantasy and this feeling they can take from a performer. And that's really my favorite part is feeling like I can give that to people. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories secrets and tips with you Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of uh, Ballet Dance Live podcast and I have a great pleasure to chat today with beautiful Shahrazad, a successful and world-known dancer who started her professional ballet dance career at the age of 17 in the United States, but currently she resides in Cairo as well as uh, she regularly travels internationally to teach, perform, and inspire dancers all around the world. And uh, recently we also had the pleasure to collaborate with her on an Instagram challenge project, which was called Measure by Four, organized by Katerina Seham. Basically, different dancers had to choreograph um, certain parts of the choreography, and then participants had to learn them. And I must say that Shahrazad's part on uh, Ballady was really absolutely gorgeous and just so juicy (laughs) and I'm really happy that uh, today we have a chance to talk uh, with her about her experience and get inspired even more by this beautiful artist so welcome dear Shahrazad to our podcast and uh, thank you for taking your time to uh, share your thoughts and your experience with us (laughs) thank you for such a nice introduction (laughs) it was so sweet To start our conversation, of course, I would love to ask you, how did your ballet dance journey start? What was the very beginning of it and how it looked? It was um, kind of a funny story. (laughs) Um, Mm. I was able to find ballet dance when I was very young, about 10 or 11 years old. Um, my first exposure to belly dance was seeing it on television. At the time, there was a, a big popular craze for belly dance fitness. Mm-hmm. And it's still pretty popular in the U.S., but at this particular time, like they even had belly dance fitness DVDs advertised on TV. That's how popular mm-hmm. it was. So that was the first time that I saw it. And... Um, I don't know what it was that intrigued me so much about it because I I had done other kinds of dance. I was doing some Indian dance and I did like ballet for little girls. Um, But something about the belly dance videos really caught my eye and I asked my mom to get them for me and it came with like a little hip scarf and a CD. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was like a little training pack that you got as this beginning belly dance course and um I loved the music like I remember Mm. putting on the cd and just dancing around because I just loved the the music so after I worked with the videos for a while um I asked my mom if she could find me real in-person classes and she did there was a Moroccan restaurant that she knew had belly dancers so she called and asked And it was a local dancer named Maya who had weekly classes. So we started to go to that. We showed up. I was always very tall. Okay. So I was this giant child (laughs) that showed up 
all of the other ladies in the class were in their late 20s to I would say like early 50s mm-hmm. so we showed up and my mom was like oh uh, I, I guess I'll just take the class with you <laughs> that's awesome so yeah so we started together actually my mom a lot of people think maybe my mom was a dancer but we started at the same time and um so it, it became like a really nice bonding thing she would take me to all my classes and she would take the classes too and we were even in a troupe together at one point when I was really little Mm. (laughs) so that was like the beginning and um yeah we just kept going to more and more events and branching out and meeting different teachers and starting to go to festivals together and go to workshops and so it kind of just went from there that's really awesome story (laughs) I loved it Um, and I know that you started your professional uh, ballet dance career early too. Is it right? Yes. Um, I had been studying with a couple of more um, successful performers that were in the area where I was in when I started. I grew up like outside of Philadelphia. So in that city, they had a fair amount of professional dancers and I started taking a lot of private lessons with some of those dancers and that kind of started getting me into some of the local restaurant and nightclub performing jobs, especially the family restaurants. Um, I would start going with my teachers and then I started going by myself. So by the time I was 16 or 17, I was doing a lot of performing and I was teaching just some like beginner classes at like a local gym. Um, So that's how I I started professionally Mm -hmm. um, just on a nice like local level. But yes, it was, it was pretty young. (laughs) I see. Uh, Well, and uh, you also had uh, uh, recently quite a move because uh, as far as I know, you recently got a place in Cairo and now you live most of the time there. So what was the decision-making point to do such a move from U.S. to Egypt? And how did the transition look like? Yes, (laughs) this was a big thing. (laughs) Um, I I started visiting Cairo when I was about 17. The first time I came, it was for a festival. And the next few times I came, it was more for private lessons and seeing shows and shopping and all of that stuff. Um, I always loved live music. I was super lucky in my early club dancing days that a lot of the clubs I worked at had bands. So I got a lot of live music experience very early on. And I loved live music. Like I was obsessed with performing with live music. So that was always something that was inspirational about Egypt to me, which was the like the great bands that you could work with. And also, I just loved Egyptian style and specifically Egyptian music. And so it was always something that was on my mind. And all of my favorite dancers also at the time were in Egypt. Um, I actually came in like 2011, in January 2011. And a couple of people when I was here during that trip had started asking me why I don't try. But at that point, I was still pretty young. (laughs) And then halfway through that trip, actually, the revolution started. So we all had to leave like as quickly as possible. So that kind of cut that idea out of my head for a while. And that's when I shifted more of my focus into developing my teaching skills and I did my Pilates Mm -hmm. apprenticeship and I kept performing but I did a lot more and more and more teaching after that started doing more workshops and started touring and stuff like that but a couple years ago I really started to feel like my style that I really loved that was more kind of based in Egyptian style, nightclub type dancing, I felt like I was losing a lot of that by only teaching all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. When you 
the environment in which you dance totally shapes the way that you dance. And, um, yeah, I just feel, I felt like I was losing the style that I really liked. So I was like, well, (laughs) maybe this is the time (laughs) (laughs) I went to visit Egypt and, um, a couple of my friends took me to work with them, like just to hang out and see everything. And people started talking to me again about like, why don't, why don't you think about coming and dancing? Like now things are getting better again. Cause for a couple of years post-revolution, it wasn't a very good time mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be coming or dancing. But yeah, when I visited, things seemed like they were getting a lot better again and people started encouraging me. And I felt like for myself, I wanted to push my art to another level. And for the style that I personally like to emulate, I felt like this was the way to get the the experience that I wanted and the training and the musicality, like this would be the thing that would help me to achieve what I wanted artistically. So that was, that was really the main reason why I wanted to come. And I definitely feel like I've been able to gain a lot by coming and doing that. I see. It's great. And uh, it, it needs to be uh, a lot of courage to just decide to move from your own country to Cairo to pursue dance career. But yeah, that's that's uh, amazing, amazing story. And how does your uh, Cairo dance life looks like now? How often the shows are? What kind of events are? Like, give us a little insight into this uh, Cairo dance life that I'm absolutely sure all ballet dancers are curious about. <laughs> mm-hmm. To be honest, um, my dance experience is very uh inconsistent (laughs) if only for the reason that like every other month or so I leave and I travel to do all these workshops and then I come back and then I leave and then I come Mm -hmm. back so um my schedule in general is (laughs) all over the place (laughs) but um when I am doing lots of shows um most of my shows have been in uh hotel nightclubs so not too late at night like a reasonable time maybe between 10 p.m and like 2 a.m um so shows almost every night Mm -hmm. sometimes a couple times a night if there's a special event um or a wedding or something and Performing in Cairo definitely takes a lot out of you. The shows are very long Mm -hmm. um, and very energetic, especially these days. The current music, it's very energetic. (laughs) So usually when I am performing a lot, I am sleeping all day. (laughs) Yeah. And what is typical duration of the show? This? varies greatly on venue and one thing I think is hard to realize unless you're in the area is what a variety of venues and types of events you see dance in here Mm -hmm. the shows are totally different depending on the place but I would say absolute minimum amount of time I would see a dancer perform here is about 30 minutes Mm. anywhere up to like an hour and a half or two hours. So it's huge variation. <laughs> yeah. And is it like nonstop shows? So there are some kind of structure because like to dance more than half an hour, even half an hour, but more than half an hour, it's a lot. <laughs> this also totally depends on the event and the venue. Cause um, if you do a longer show, generally, you're able to stop and change costumes at some point, especially if you have a show, um, in a, let's say in a hotel nightclub, usually you have the freedom in your program to do a variety of different musics and change your costumes for each section of the show. So it stays interesting 
for the audience, but also for you. And it gives you points at which you can kind of catch your breath. Cause yes, it's, it's very mm -hmm. physically taxing to dance for that long of a time. Um, but yeah, that's why all the dancers sleep all day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on the point of uh, music, who is usually decides the selection of music for each show? Is it you? Is it uh, possibly band? Or is it maybe organizers? Or um, how the music selection for each show comes uh, together? In most cases, the dancer is the one who's in control of what she's dancing to, especially if you're working mm -hmm. with a live band. But of course, other factors come into like how and why you choose the kind of show that you're going to do things like who you have in your audience. If it's mostly younger people or older people or from uh, Saudi Arabia, maybe you have some people. So you want to throw in a Khaligi song or like, mm. of course there are small variations like this that are going to help you pick your music. But at the end of the day, the dancer is the one who chooses the lineup of the songs. Maybe the band leader will give you suggestion like, Oh, we should start with something mm -hmm. classic and maybe do something like this. But at the end of the day, usually the dancer is in charge. I see. And uh, for your personal preferences, do you usually tend more to classical uh, songs or more to popular new pop songs <laughs> in your shows? Personally, I love old school stuff. Mm. both with dance and with music. So if I could do a whole show of mostly older songs, I would <laughs> I would be so happy. But these days, of course, um, Shabby is like taking over the music. So even in hotel shows, like you have to be able to do a few Shabby songs, modern Shabby songs. Mm. Yeah. So my personal preference is the older stuff, but we have to throw in a few a few shabby songs at some point just because that's the overwhelming trend now in the music. Oh, I see. That actually was uh, one of my questions that I was super curious to ask you. What's the situation with uh, this modern uh, street shabby in Cairo? Because I know in the past uh, uh, many shows, at least that's what I heard, for many uh, shows at many venues, they did not... Uh, except uh, that the dancer may throw one or two street shabby songs. But uh, uh, how is it now? Like, is it uh, something acceptable? Or is it still more like a little bit, uh, not old style shabby, but <laughs> not that extreme street shabby style acceptable? It's really interesting because I feel like there has been a big shift in the dance post-revolution in Egypt, there's been a big shift in the dance. And I think that a lot of it is coming from the music, mm -hmm. this new, huge, overwhelming popularity of Shabi, and now the more kind of like electronic Mahargonat style Shabi. Um, it's changing the dance. Maybe some of the change I think might be coming from the videos because we always, going back to the golden era of belly dance, you always see belly dancers depicted in movies. It's huge here. And that has a lot to do with the style of the dance. Mm -hmm. The music that you see the dancers dancing to in the movies. Like, all of that, it doesn't completely control what you see in nightclubs, but it definitely influences how people expect belly dancers to to work or to move or what to use or what to wear. And I feel like now most of the movies, they still have belly dancers, but the way that you're seeing them now is different. You're always seeing them in a cabaret setting or in a wedding. Mm -hmm. They're always dancing to shabby music. And instead of them being depicted doing a big show with, with musicians, they're more depicted just dancing and jumping around with a bunch of people partying and with a singer. So that's changed, I think, the expectations on the dancers here. And it's changed some of the work because now there's a lot of venues in Cairo where 
It's a more Western style of nightclub without live music, Mm -hmm. DJ. And they bring belly dancers in and you only dance to shabby music and you dance on a bar or on a platform. So I don't, I don't think this was available before. And now it's a huge way that you see belly dancers here. Mm-hmm. And I think almost all the dancers here work that work at least a little bit, even if they have live music shows. Like, for example, a big dancer like um, Ala Kushnir or Oksana, who've been in a lot of videos and stuff like that. Of course, they do weddings and shows with their band, but all the time you always see them doing shows like this shabby nightclub scene mm-hmm. on a bar or on a platform. I think this is so new and it's so different Um, and definitely didn't really exist before all of this um, shabby came into the music scene and into the movies. Yeah, and uh, that's really true. Like now because of social media, we can see so big variety in a kind of show that exists in Asia because before it was more at least from I'm talking from my point of view but understanding in Cairo it was other shows at the wedding or uh, shows at the hotels and uh, what I uh, heard that the nightclub shows there are much less prestige or it was a very clear separation between dancers who would go and perform at nightclubs and someone who will come and perform at weddings. Like now, uh, at least my impression from social media that now it's so much mixed and the same dancer can perform at one venue and then uh, at another, um, I mean, the kinds of venues and... um, it's really mixing, uh, mixing all together <laughs> the kinds of uh, um, when is available to perform for the same dancer. Or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Correct me. <laughs> That's just impression that I have from social media as a ballet dancer who follow these uh, things, but from outside of Egypt. Mm-hmm. No, I mean you're definitely, you're definitely right. But there's also another level of complication because. Um, There are so many different kinds of nightclubs here in which dancers work. Some nightclubs are more expensive and classier, so they technically consider them like more high-class places. Mm. Like there's a big difference if you went to a nightclub inside a hotel that's very elegant and everything versus a cabaret on Harm Street, which would be considered more low class and a little sleazy almost Mm -hmm. so yeah within the nightclubs there's this huge spectrum you know what I mean yeah well that's true yeah so that's complicated too and it's also important to realize like weddings also have a huge range of levels the classy quote-unquote dancers who work in the very nice nightclubs that you see in movies of course they're going to be working in the high class expensive weddings because normal people couldn't afford the prices that those kind of dancers charge for shows so of course when you have more shabby street weddings you get more shabby street dancers Mm -hmm. because they're at the same level kind of um economically every once in a while maybe you get a huge street wedding and they uh, shell out for a more well-known dancer. But usually you get the more cabaret dancers in the more street weddings and the more high-class hotel, let's say, dancers in the in the classier, more expensive weddings. I see. And uh, most of the things about uh, uh, ballet dance shows in Cairo are arranged uh, through the agent is it correct or is there any points that the dancer has a direct communication with the client or the host of event i don't know about maybe music preferences or costume preferences or is everything just goes through the agent and dancer just show up shows up to perform or rehearse with her band <laughs> most dancers do work through and with an agent um but that doesn't mean that There aren't a few dancers that do everything themselves. There totally are. Um, And also, dancers will interact 
between themselves and the customers mm-hmm. on occasion, depending on what the event is or who the customer is, if it's somebody they know. Um, but a lot of the logistical arrangements are done through the agent, like organizing the band mm-hmm. to be there and what music stuff they're going to need system wise and the time and setting up the schedule. Usually that's happening through an agent or a manager. I see. Well, and coming back to more artistic side of uh, preparing for performances, we talked a little bit about uh, music and music selection for different events, but uh, uh, how do you prepare the dance aspect? Like once you know which songs you want to dance, do you do any special preparations dance-wise to do, like, I don't know, choreographies or um, improvisations or or how the dance part of the preparation for the gig looks like usually? Um, This depends on what kind of performance it's going to be. I would say, and of course I can't say as a fact because I I would have to ask everyone, (laughs) but I would say most (laughs) dancers these days both in their regular shows and in weddings don't use choreography. I would say most of the show is improvised. Um, Although a lot of dancers that do work regularly with bands will do rehearsals. So at least you have some idea of how exactly the song is going to go. So you can plan a little bit what you're going to do, but depending on the event, sometimes you just have to throw that, out the window because things can change so quickly. The part of the dance that's probably the most choreographed um, is is the entrance piece. I think that's the main part that I see most dancers actually using choreography for because even when you're at a wedding or something, it's the part of the dance where there's not usually going to be a lot of change. Like maybe later in your show, if you're at a wedding, they might, Mm -hmm. everyone might get up and start dancing, at which point you can't really do a show anymore. Or if you're (laughs) at a cabaret, maybe they'll start requesting different songs. So you have to change every two minutes between a different song and there's no way you can do choreography. So um, really depends on the venue, um, how much choreography you use. If you're on a nice stage, obviously there's more freedom, but I would say most dancers still don't really use choreography. Um, But like I said, there will be rehearsals with the band. And personally, even though I improvise a lot of my stuff, I definitely take time to practice at the gym with um, any new song that I'm going to use just so that I know all of the little details in the song. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm improvising, it's almost like structured improvisation that I have some moves that I'm always used to doing at certain parts um, and especially making sure I know all the words and what movements I can use to describe the different parts of the song that are happening because that has become an important thing now in the style here as well. The reason why I asked uh, this question specifically uh, to you is that um, I know you pay a lot of attention to uh, musicality and uh, your dance videos, whether they improvise or choreograph, they never look out of music. So we never really know, oh, was it improvisation or was it choreography? So I was really curious uh, whenever you add, decide to add new song to your show, how, how you work with it. So is it choreography maybe in the beginning or is it improvisation? But uh, interesting interesting to, to hear like uh, your approach. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I would say all of my videos online are improvisation videos. And I think that most dancers who do have a lot of experience with live music, like you're forced to learn how to improvise (laughs) because (laughs) you never know what's going to happen with the band. Um, But I've always, I've always preferred it. I love improvisation. Um, You just need to know the music really, really well, not just individual songs, but understand the different parts of Arabic music, the rhythms and the melodies and the way the singer works. And when you understand a lot of that stuff, it takes a lot of the 
work out of improvisation so that you can just dance and keep moving and not have to worry about what you're going to do next because you'll you'll find it with your body when you really really understand your movements and the music right and just out of curiosity like do you ever find yourself and you improvising that you get uh, uh, in the loop of repeating the same movements uh, or it never happens to you <laughs> anything like that oh yeah definitely and if I especially if I improvise to the same song over and over and over for me it almost starts looking like a choreography because I'll do the same thing to the same part of the song <laughs> most of the time if I keep dancing to it over and over and over and over <laughs> is there any tricks how to get out of this loop or just practicing it <laughs> Um, yeah, practicing. I don't know. It's strange, though, because even with some songs that I've danced to a million times, if I have some different mood, or sometimes if I put on a, a new crazy costume, it inspires me to do something new. <laughs> I don't know. I see, I see. Well, um, talking about costumes, <laughs> tell us a little bit, please. What's the current fashion in Cairo? What's popular now costume-wise? Uh, is there any specific trends uh, right now there? We're definitely seeing a big return to older-style skirts. Mm. And by that, I mean like big, full panel skirts with slits on the legs. Because for a while, I think the trend was more fitted all in one lycra skirts um but most dancers now are going back to wearing kind of traditional looking or obviously not totally traditional mm -hmm. looking but the silhouette of the bra and the belt with a big skirt mm. that's totally coming back um you're also seeing some girls wearing high-waisted costumes almost like a vintage revival Sammy Gamal, like mm -hmm. high-waisted with a bra. I have one of those now. But I think there's also a huge amount of variation in the dance costumes right now because there are so many foreign dancers coming in and a lot of them are bringing their costumes from outside, which I think was never a super common thing. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think most dancers... Even foreigners who moved here to work generally got their costumes made here. But now I know there's a lot of girls who come from Russia and Ukraine and South America that are bringing costumes with them mm -hmm. from designers that are from their countries. So that adds like a whole new level of variation in what styles you see people wear. Do you have your favorite style of um, dresses or the model? Uh no <laughs> i love I, i don't know i i love so many different styles of costumes uh, and i always have so many different looking things in my wardrobe my mind is very open as far as costumes go so i like i like almost everything <laughs> um someone uh, once told me uh, my favorite costume is the new one <laughs> yeah that's a great way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> how often do you update your costumes uh i'm working on a new costume pretty much all the time i have something new in in the works because i'm always finding new inspiration for costumes um it's always it's always been something that i've done to always have really unique really new costumes in my wardrobe because I always wanted to put a lot of effort into standing out, I guess, mm -hmm. by having like cool stuff. But I also just love it. And having a really amazing costume, like I said before, sometimes it inspires me to do something new in my dancing. Like it gives me some new mood or some, sometimes if I have a new costume with a crazy skirt, it inspires me to use my legs more in a certain way. Or if I have a costume with crazy sleeves, it inspires some new arm movement. So I'm always, always changing and updating the costumes. 
Wow. Well, uh, your attention to costumes definitely shows because uh, uh, any picture or any video that I saw, you have amazing outfits and really, really different from other dancers. So that definitely shows in uh, in your performances. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how does usual the costume making or, I don't know, purchasing or designing process look like? Do you actively participate uh, in the costume making or you just collaborate with designer and, like, give general idea and then leave uh, the rest for them? Or is it you usually choose the ready-made dresses? Like, is there any specific uh, uh, trend in how you usually choose your costumes? <laughs> yes. Um, one... Thing that was extremely lucky for me, or I should say is, because it still is, is that um, my mom is a seamstress and she mm. was for a long time, like wedding dresses and interior design. So when I started dancing, she started making outfits for me and she's become really, really great at making outfits. But I also had this training from a young age, like she taught me how to sew. So I, I always was able to think about designing stuff or alter my own stuff or collaborate with her on something new. So I did buy a lot of costumes from designers and I still collaborate with designers, but I also have a lot of really crazy stuff that me and my mom make together, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is really fun. Um, being in Egypt has given me a huge opportunity to directly co collaborate with designers because I would always seek out unusual stuff off the rack or custom orders from designers here to supplement the stuff that me and my mom made together. Um, but now that I'm here, there's some designers who are so friendly and willing to collaborate so I can really draw up a design, give it to them. They can cut the fabric. I can come in, do a fitting, and we can talk about little tweaks and changes to get it just right. And then I give it back again and then they start mm -hmm. the beating and then I come back and I say, Oh, more like this, more like this. Um, so that has really given me an amazing opportunity to have a lot of artistic input on how the costumes turn out. Um, and I think that's a big reason why they look so unique. I'm usually the one designing them. Um, or at least I have a big part in the design. And it's also good for me because it's always been a little hard for me to get costumes off the rack. And maybe this was another reason why I was always <laughs> trying to get custom stuff. Because <laughs> um, I'm very tall and... I, I just have a hard body type to fit. I'm very tall. My cup size is big, but my ribs are very small. My hips are pretty wide. So it was just always nearly impossible for me to get a costume that fit right off the rack. Well, there may be some technical inside issues with fitting your costumes, but uh, how they look on stage and how you look on stage in them is always amazing. So... It just uh, I'm very a uh, person who pays a lot of attention to like visual stuff and costumes, so that's something right away brought my attention. And I was looking uh, first uh, met uh, um, your dance activities through internet, but then after that following you, like it always brought my attention how uh, unique and. Um, interesting the costumes uh, were and how they showed uh, your uh, at least dance personality that we can perceive through through, through your videos <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, did you ever count how many costumes do you have <laughs> no not really because um it's always it's always changing i'm always selling stuff and there's always a few new costumes being made like right now I have about three with my with my main designer here which is um Ratya Hassan has an atelier and she has an amazing team of designers and um ladies who do all the beading and stuff so they're the mm -hmm. main ones that I take my 
designs too when I want to make things. I have about three with them. And then I, me and my mom always have like a million projects <laughs> in the works. So it's hard to keep track <laughs> between selling and then ordering. and so. nice. But um, when I'm more busy, I definitely have at least, I would say like 15 costumes Aww. when I'm doing a lot of shows, um, maybe more like 20 or 25. At the moment, I have a little less because I was just touring. So I sold a bunch and now I have a bunch ordered to kind of replenish Well, and uh, how do you decide to let the costume go? Is it by number of performed shows or is it just based on intuition or anything else? <laughs> uh, sometimes I will design an outfit and get it and dance in it a few times and just not be completely happy with how it looks. So sometimes that might be why I sell an outfit. And I'm also definitely very conscious and careful about being seen lots of times in the same costume mm. and that's always been a thing for me if I have a regular performance in one place I don't want to be seen too many times in the same outfit but also with social media it's crazy I don't want lots of videos and pictures in the same costume either so I get really weird about that right so, If I feel like I've gotten a lot of use, not just in performance, but like pictures and video out of one costume, I tend to sell it pretty quickly. Although there are always a few outfits that remain in my costume closet for a long time because I'm just in love with them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think uh, uh, the uh, social media gave uh, additional excuse uh, uh, for all dancers to buy a new costume more often. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, uh, yes. I have one more question. You sort of already answered it, but I just wanted to articulate it more, uh, more clear. But uh, uh, in general, uh, can you choose one or a few uh, but tell us what is the favorite your favorite part of your work and being a dancer in Cairo this comes down to not just work here but dance work in general um, performances here and back in the states but also like teaching work, um, my absolute favorite part that always leaves me so happy after I work is making people happy. Um, when you start dance from a hobbyist level or something, it's a very self-centered thing. Like, oh, I'm doing this because it makes me feel great and It makes me feel happy to be in class and to excel. But when you become a professional, I think there's a big shift in the focus. Um, of course, you want to take care of your artistic wants and needs. But especially when you become a teacher or a professional performer, now you have this obligation to your audience Um, and I think truly great teachers and performers love making people happy, like this reaction that you can get from your audience. For me, it's priceless. Like the best time I have is in a class or in a show mm -hmm. where I can tell everyone is so happy because um, I don't know, people have hard lives. We all have crap we have to deal with. Art and music are like an escape from that. And I feel like dancers doing shows, we have to be the relief and the happiness that people can find from their everyday life. And a lot of times I feel like this is why people are coming to a show or coming to a class. They're looking for this escape and this almost like a uh, fantasy and this feeling they can take from a performer. And that's really my favorite part is feeling like I can give that 
to people like that happiness and I don't know just the escape from the ordinary life Wow, these words just so much speaks to to me as well. And uh, I was like, as if I was listening in my mind, thank you for sharing it. It's nice. It's so nice to hear that uh, uh, someone else has uh, uh, the same um, approach uh, to dance, that this is, this is a piece of happiness that we create for people. It doesn't need to be always too serious or too dramatic or anything like that. It's just a piece of happiness <laughs> to share with everyone. Yeah. So before I ask you a, f- a few uh, final questions, I would love to um, really thank you for taking your time and uh, bring us inside the belly dance life in Cairo and sharing all those uh, little um, tips and secrets from uh, working and, and dancing in Cairo. And I think this topic really uh, intrigues a lot of belly dancers all around the world because the attention of uh, um, belly dancers are usually in on Egypt and on Cairo as the center of uh, belly dance, although it's broader than just Egyptian style, but still we kind of feel that's the root and the center today. So it was really interesting and uh, inspiring to, to hear all those insights from you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that I was able to give some interesting <laughs> information. <laughs> Oh, yes, absolutely. And uh, tell us, where can uh, people find you to follow your dance uh, activities uh, the best way? And uh, uh, what are your upcoming uh, trips or projects that you don't mind sharing with us? (laughs) Oh, this year is going to be a crazy one for me, (laughs) actually. Um, The best places to keep up with me are on my Instagram, Shahrazad Dancer Official, and... um, my Facebook page, be careful because there are actually some fake accounts of me on Facebook. People just post all my pictures. Um, my Facebook page is a fan page and it's Shahrazad Dancer. I'll, defi- I'll definitely include links in the show notes for that. Oh yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And what about upcoming trees? Where can a dancer find you in which countries in the nearest future? I... I always keep my website, shahrazadrocks.com. I have my full schedule there, and I try and post all the time on my Facebook and Instagram with new places. This year, I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to do... I just did two festivals, one in America and one in Poland. I'm going to be coming back to Europe a couple more times in Italy and uh, I think Greece and um, Germany. Um, I'll definitely be in Russia at least once or twice this year. Uh, I always do a bunch of workshops back in the States in a lot of different cities and in Canada because that's closer to where I'm from. Well, I can't wait to your workshops in Toronto. I just have to give a shout out to Yamar who are bringing you in September. Um, Oh my God, you're going to be there. Yay! Yes, you'll definitely see me there, and I um, can't wait to meet you in person. <laughs> oh, my God, it'll be so fun. Oh, one thing I want to shout out real quick about is that, um, like I said, one big reason I came to Egypt was the music, and I am excited to announce that I am working on finishing my first full orchestra CD. From wow. Egypt. So I will have that as well as two other CDs I'm producing. I'm trying, I'm working very hard right now to try and finish these by Ramadan so that for most of my workshops, I will have all of the new CDs. Wow, congratulations. Looking forward to, to listen to them. Thank you. Uh, and also, uh, one more last thing, because I know the dancers would love to know about this a little bit more. We didn't talk about that subject, but just briefly to mention, I know you have online store that you put a, a very cute, cool stuff from Cairo available to other dancers to see and purchase. So just tell a little bit what kind of stuff they can find there usually. <laughs> yes, and thank you for reminding me because I am horrible at promoting myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm trying to develop my online store. And the main thing that I would like to do is try to get more stuff that's a little harder to find because I know a lot of vendors carry the same kinds of things. 
So of course I have my DVDs and I'll have my CDs, but I'm also trying to put more interesting handcrafts like a suit fabric and um, there's a lot of really cool jewelry now here and accessories and cool costume pieces that I think are more unusual. I'm going to try and build my website with that also. But also, if you like the crazy stuff that I wear, um, I try and post a bunch of my used costumes for sale on my on my site. So if you liked anything you saw <laughs> me wearing my videos or pictures, um, when I'm finished with them, I usually pop them up on my website. Yeah, that's good. The link will be again in the show notes. Um, so for everyone who is interested, check them out there. Uh, and uh, to sum up our conversation, I would like to ask you one uh, sort of signature question that I'm planning to ask uh, uh, everyone at the end of the interview, uh, regardless if you sort of talked about it or it was completely a different topic. But the question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again so that you keep doing it for so many years? Hmm. I would say my main inspiration always comes back to uh, music. Um, I think music was one of the main things that made me fall in love with this particular style of art. And I think that this dance would be nothing if it wasn't for the music driving and inspiring the movements and um yeah not just egyptian music but i'm just obsessed with north african and middle eastern music in general and the folklore that spawns out of it and i'm always finding new inspiration in different styles of music or even hearing the same classic songs from different artists who give it their own new spin and inspires me to do something new with my own movements and style. So along with, like I said, loving this connection with people and making people happy, but for myself, my, my artistic inspiration, I would have to say is so much with the music. Great, great. Well, thank you once again for uh, being on podcast and uh, uh, looking forward to follow your dance activity more and get even more inspiration from uh, uh, what you're doing and what you are uh, sharing with, uh, with the world. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. It was so fun. And I can't wait to meet you in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, Thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by Yana Dance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcast so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.